Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio. I am your host, Graham G.S.M. Matthews. You're on June 17th, 2014. Personally, my favorite day of the month, as we are only one month away from the three-year anniversary of my favorite pay-per-view of all time, Money in the Bank 2011. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Monday Night Raw, TNA Slammiversary, and a lot of other stuff. But I will be kicking off today's show talking about the most recent WWE releases as of June 12th, 2014. Um... I believe the most amount of people released in one day ever, or at least in recent memory, I can't remember the last time that 11 people were axed in the matter in the course of one day. I know at one point in 2008 and 2010, and even in 2011, I know there were a number of superstars released in one day, but never 11, so it was pretty crazy. But um, that being said, though, a lot of the people axed this past week were not all that surprising cuts. Kicking it off with the uh, sole referee release, Mark Harris, the African American guy that used to do that used to ref the Divas matches, um, and it doesn't come as much of a surprise if only because he was involved in the botched finish of that mixed tag team match last year between Natalia, AJ Lee, Biggie Langston, and the Great Khali. And Natalia put a sharpshooter on AJ, and I'm not until this day. To this day, I'm not exactly sure whose fault it was, whether it was AJ's or Natalia's or. Who tapped early or the referee called for the bell too early. I'm not exactly sure. But um, that being said, though, I guess I'm not really that surprised that he was the one referee that was axed out of everyone. And um, even so, though, I mean, it wasn't even the event itself that got him fired. I mean, had that happened, you know, mistakes happen. It's okay. But it's the fact that he went on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it was and just completely went on a tirade against the fans and some referees that called him out on his mistake it was really strange, and I guess people expected him to be released shortly thereafter. And I don't know if in WWE's mind they wanted to wait until his contract expired or they wanted to wait to fire him until, um, until they fired everyone else at the same time. I'm not exactly sure what their thought process was, but the fact that he was released of, the, of all the referees that they currently have under contract it was not all that surprising to me personally, but he was the sole referee released. Evan Bourne was an interesting cut. Um, Evan Bourne hasn't been on WWE TV for about two years. He's been under contract for WWE or been on the main roster for almost exactly six years. He posted a Facebook or posted a message on his Twitter on June 3rd of 2000 and, or you know the June 3rd of this month, um, six years removed of when he first initially debuted in WWE, a part of the ECW brand. And um, he thanking the fans for the six-year anniversary. I'll be back soon. Just wait for it. Um, the dirt sheets were reporting, and as I always say, take the dirt sheets with a grain of salt. The dirt sheets were saying that Evan Bourne would be back soon. He was 100% recovered from his injury. And before I even go forward, I'll just mention this. I mean, Evan Bourne in late 2011 was WWE Tag Team Champions with Kofi Kingston. And they had a very nice reign. I loved Air Boom, but then he got suspended not once but twice for suspending the WWE wellness policy. And then before he could come back, I mean, days before right, his, his suspension uh, – was over. His suspension had ended. He was able to come back. He was able to return to action. And I was expecting him to come back to that Monday night on Raw. I mean, uh, I believe his suspension ended on March 17th of 2012. And the next day was March 18th. And I expected him to be back. Um, or maybe that June, March 17th was on a Saturday that year. I don't know. But I expect him to be back that Monday on Raw. And he didn't return. I expect him to be back a part of the Team Teddy storyline, if you recall that, and their team overnightis and the control of Raw and SmackDown, that whole bullshit storyline. But I expected him to return a part of that, and he didn't. And then we found out a couple days later that Evan Bourne was involved in a – he mangled his foot in a gruesome car accident. Um, it was pretty crazy, and they posted photos of it – or he posted photos of it on his Twitter page. looked absolutely brutal, needed a couple surgeries, was out for a very long time. Like I said, this happened in March of 2012 – and the last time that Evan Bourne was on TV, 
was in January of that year. So it had been over two years since he's appeared on WWE TV. I was just saying on Twitter only a week ago that he should return as one of uh, Goldust's mystery partners. But apparently that can no longer come to fruition now that he's gone. But um, even still, though, like I said before, there were still reports circulating that Evan Bourne was ready to go. He was 100% healthy, ready to come back. And I guess it was just another case of WWE just not having anything for him, creative not having anything for Bourne to do on the main roster. Which is a shame. I mean, his mic skills were never top-notch or anything, but he was very entertaining to watch in the ring. Go back and watch his matches with... Um, he had a few matches with Sheamus, with Chris Jericho, with a number of people. His ECW Championship match against Matt Hardy when he's in the first year that he debuted. Had a great few matches with Matt Hardy and Mark Henry and a number of others. So it really is just a shame that he got released. I mean, he had a great run while it lasted. I mean, only one had one championship frame with Kofi Kingston right before he got cut or right before he left, uh, you know, left TV to go serve his suspension and get injured and, and all that kind of stuff. But he had a fun run while it lasted. I'll give him that much. I mean, he was basically just known for a shooting star press. And he was pushed at one point, too. I mean, like I said before, he was an enhancement talent for a number of years. From when he first debuted on ECW, then he was drafted to Raw about a year later. And I was extremely excited for that. I'm thinking they might actually push this guy as a U.S. title contender or something along those lines. Because it really seemed like they were behind Evan Bourne. He was fun to watch in the ring. He was over. Like I said before, his mic skills weren't there. But you put him with a manager or a tag team partner, it didn't really matter. But um, And they did push him during the summer of, two, of 2010. Picked up a few wins over Sheamus. He was in the main event of Raw a few times. He defeated Chris Jericho cleanly at the, uh, I think, the Fatal 4-Way pay-per-view in 2010, almost exactly four years ago. And then he was also involved in that awesome spot, the Shooting Star KO spot on Monday Night Raw in July of that year. It was in uh, had a breakout performance in the Money in the Bank ladder match. was also involved in that matchup a year later at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. But aside from that, they really didn't do much with him. And I thought he was... Wasted talent. Um, I mean, like I said before, I loved Air Boom when they were around in late 2011, but they just really didn't do anything with him, and I thought they could have brought him back with either Kofi. I mean, add to their dwindling tag team division. That could have been cool. Or you could have been a, put him in a feud with the U.S. title with Barrett or something like that. Him and Barrett could have had a few very good matches, so I was disappointed that that never came to fruition. But, yeah, that being said, I mean, it's a shame that he's cut, but that also now allows him to go back to where he – probably belongs in either TNA or where he initially started in Ring of Honor um, as Matt Seidel. So it'd be great to see him in Ring of Honor. Like I said numerous times in the past, I just started getting back into Ring of Honor. So it would be awesome to see him land back there. I mean, he just got cut, so he's got to serve the 90-day no-compete clause. So maybe we could see him there by September. But it's worth the wait if we see him you know, mix it up with guys like AJ Styles, with uh, who else is there, Jay Lethal, Adam Cole, a number of guys, Kevin Steen, if he's still around by the time. Um, he comes over to TNA, or if he comes over to TNA, or I'm sorry, to ROH. And speaking of TNA, too, he'd be perfect for their X Division. The X Division is not as prominent as it should be, or as it was at one point. And, w and TNA is very hesitant with pushing their X Division. It, they push it for, you know, like five minutes during the summer, and then it's completely non-existent and irrelevant the rest of the year, which makes no sense to me. But um, even still, you put him in TNA, it would be very cool to see him mix it up with the guys like, with the likes of... Uh, with Sonata, if he's still there, I don't know, whoever they have their X Division. But um, yeah, I would love to see him in TNA, ROH, Matt Seidel, a.k.a. Evan Bourne, the artist formerly known as Evan Bourne, would be great in either company. Oksana was also cut. Oksana was a part of the third season of NXT, was one of the first few eliminated. She, I think she married Goldust at one point. Now, it was funny because when I told my little brother, and he's a casual fan at best nowadays, he doesn't watch the product at all unless I tell him something or unless he overhears or oversees something that I'm watching or listening to. but um, And he didn't even watch NXT when the third season of NXT was around because it aired on the website, so he didn't go out of his way to watch it, like the, to watch the show like I did. But um, And I don't even know how he remembered this, but when I told him that Oksana got cut, he said that, oh, the woman that married Goldust. And I was like, yeah. And that was really that all that she was known for. I mean, if you really think about it, in the last three or four years that Oksana's been on WWE TV, she's really done nothing. She was a uh, Teddy Long stalker on SmackDown for a long time in 2011 and 2012 before she got paired off with Cesaro and, uh, for the summer of 2012. That relationship didn't last long. I thought that would have been a good pairing. Cesaro ended up doing pretty fine for himself. <laughs> he ended up doing pretty well for himself considering he's the newest Paul Heyman guy. But um, even still, though, that, the fact that uh, that pairing didn't last long, I thought it was cool while it lasted, but 
And then, then they broke up, and then Oksana just basically went on to job for the next two years before she got released. So that's not surprising. She wasn't really all that great in the ring, so personally, I couldn't care less. I mean, I hate to see anyone out of a job, but if everyone in the Divas division that could have been cut, aside from Karen or Cameron or Eva Marie, you know, since they're a part of Total Divas, they're never going to be cut. But uh, the fact that Oksana was cut out of everyone in the Divas division is not surprising. If you told me to pick a couple months ago, if you told me to pick one person from the Divas division that should be released, I would have said Rosa Mendez. I can't remember the last time that she was on TV in some sort of active in-ring role aside from WrestleMania. But um, now that she's a part of Total Divas, that's a no-go. But um, yeah, Oksana's gone. Camacho, another guy that I never really cared for, never really had much of a character. He teamed with Hunico for a couple of years from 2011 to 2013 before Hunico became the latest incarnation of Sin Cara, so that was a no-go. Camacho was just recently involved in a feud with Adam Rose in NXT, and then they did nothing with him. I mean, he has talent. I'm not saying he's terrible, but he just failed to excite me in any form or fashion. So I personally didn't see much in him as a singles competitor, but that's solely just me. I mean, he... Could have had potential if they repackaged him and he didn't come out to the stupid, stereotypical Mexican music and all that shit. But, um, yeah, say goodbye to Camacho. Brodus Clay also got the axe. A lot of people are predicting his release for a while now, but... And it really isn't that much of a surprise. Brodus Clay hasn't been on TV in months. I can't remember the last time he was on Raw or SmackDown. And, um, you know, aside from being a part of the WrestleMania Battle Royal... But that being said, though, I mean, he was involved in a feud with Adrian Neville over the NXT Championship about a month or two ago in NXT. But that was basically it. And Brodus Clay, um, aside from a few others that I'm going to name in a little bit, he was the one that really pissed me off the most, the fact that he was released. If only because, I mean, it may have been just me, but I thought he was really talented. He, didn't, he, couldn't, he wasn't capable of having a five-star classic. But you go back to even his debut on the NXT on the NXT show in late 2010, a part of the fourth season of NXT. He had a lot of potential, in my opinion, to be a monster heel on the roster, and he never really got utilized in that spot. He cut a number of great promos. His debut promo was great on the season finale of NXT season four. That was amazing. He cut a great promo, one of the best promos of the year. And then he disappeared for a while, reemerged on Superstars, had a couple squash matches there was about to re-debut on Raw, and he came back as a Funkasaurus. And while I was initially pissed with it, I, it ended up growing on me, and I loved the Funkasaurus. He made it get over. He made it work. He made the most of it. And then they just did nothing with it. He lost. He, he, his undefeated, once his undefeated streak was broken in singles competition, that's when he started to die down. Because um, after he lost to the Big Show, they did next to nothing with him. He became another job guy. He did something with Tensai, but it was a comedy duo. They never got close to tag team titles, nor should have they. But um, even so, I thought it was a real waste of talent. They did the Funkasaurus thing for so long, they squeezed all potential life out of it. By the time that he finally turned heel by late 2013, no one gave two shits. And it sucked because even when they did, even when they did have him turn heel, he didn't win a single fucking match. He lost R-Truth. He lost to Xavier Woods. He lost to Tensai. He lost to everybody. And it came off like a complete joke, and it pissed me off. They botched his heel turn, and they never followed it up correctly. He was never on TV. He was never on Raw or SmackDown after he turned. He had a very good promo on Main Event on the, I think, the January 1st on New Year's Day edition of Main Event. Go back and watch it. And he, he justified his heel turn by saying that, oh, the Funkadactyls and you, Tensai, were the reason that I got cut from WrestleMania 29 after being there at WrestleMania 28. And I thought it was a great promo. He's a great promo guy. And he could have been used as a monster heel, but they never utilized him in the fashion that they should have. And that really pissed me off. So, But like I said, the fact that he's gone doesn't really surprise me, given that he hasn't been used in months. So that doesn't surprise me. Kurt Hawkins is another guy I really like. Disappointed to see him go, but not surprised. Kurt Hawkins has always been a tag team specialist, tag teaming with most notably Zack Ryder, who he won the WWE tag team titles with in July of 2008, in his hometown of Long Island, might I add. He also teamed with Vance Archer for a while, if you remember him. He teamed with Tyler Rex for a while in 2011 and 2012. And then after Tyler Rex, he got his release granted. He got his um, release granted by the company. He wanted out. So once Tyler Rex left, Hawkins was left with nothing. And Hawkins, um, I believe he was involved with a few matches in NXT with Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn. But that aside, though, he hasn't done anything in the last two years. And I'm, took, I'm surprised it took him this long to get released. And I'm sure he knew it was coming. But 
the good news is is that his, he has his wrestling school now, so he has that to keep him busy. But he was another guy that I thought could be something once he wasn't in a tag team. Even when he is in a tag team, his tag team with Ryder, it just blows my mind why they never put him and Ryder back in a tag team together. He and Ryder were so great together from, what was it, 07 to 09, whenever they were together for that two-year span before they broke off. They were entertaining. They also reunited, believe it or not, on like an episode of Superstars in May of 2011 as the major broskies, because you know Zack Ryder has since been repackaged as the Long Island IC. And I thought that was a great tag team. But again, they never fucking did anything with him. They never reunited the two. Zack Ryder's doing next to nothing right now, so they can't reunite them. They couldn't have... They, they could have... They had the opportunity to reunite them, and they didn't. They blew that opportunity. And like I said before, their tag team division is quickly dwindling. So why they didn't add the tag... Why they didn't, they didn't put them back together in the division makes no sense to me whatsoever. But um, even if you go back and watch a series with matches with Trent Beretta on Superstars from a couple years ago, he had a... He and Beretta had a great few number of matches on Superstars when Hawkins went off on his own after Vance Archer was released. Hawkins looked, he was a shining competitor. I thought he had the chance to be a nice contender for the Intercontinental Championship. And like I said, they, next, they did next to nothing with him, which sucks. But um, Hawkins is now gone. J- JTG, it took a long, long time. It was a running gag. I actually legitimately marked out when JTG was released. Not that I want to see anyone out of a job. But um, the guy's been under contract for so goddamn long. I think the, con- the countdown clock ended at, what was it, I think, seven years he's been under contract. And it's, that's kind of a, it's, all, it's both true and false. I mean, he was first under contract to WWE in 06, but both he and Shad were released from the WWE in 07. And they didn't return until after WrestleMania in 2008 in March of that year. So it wasn't a continuous seven years. It was on and off seven years. But anyway... To see him get released was not surprising. He just hasn't done anything since he broke away from crime time. And that was four years ago. And um, he's just been in job. He's been involved in job matches. He was on NXT Redemption for a while, and that was still a thing in 2012, 2011. But um, after that, though, he hasn't been on TV in months, years even. So to see him go was not surprising. And his tweet was hilarious. He tweeted out after he was fired like, damn. Shouldn't have picked up my phone or something like that. It was hysterical. I was dying for a few minutes. But anyway, JTG's finally gone. Yoshitatsu is another guy. I was never a big fan of Yoshitatsu, but here, here's the thing with Yoshitatsu. Now WWE ruined him, too. The guy is so freaking talented, and you would never know based off his WWE stint, but you go back to his Japanese days when he was doing stuff over in the uh, the wrestling companies over in Japan. I don't know if it was New Japan Pro Wrestling or Wrestle One or whatever it was, but... He was a great talent over in Japan. He jumped ship to WWE, and he started off well on the ECW brand. He was brought in a part of their uh, new talent initiative, and he had a few good matches against William Regal, against Shelton Benjamin, against Christian for the ECW Championship, I think, at one point. And he had a very good run over in ECW, but once ECW ended and he was brought over to Raw and SmackDown, they didn't do anything with him, and he was just another regular guy on WWE Superstars. He had a tag team going with Goldust on ECW, but they never carried that over to the main roster. And they made him out to be a joke. He had entertaining theme music, but people argued that that should have been changed years ago. And the only real chance that Tatsu had in becoming a real star or becoming taken seriously in the WWE was when... I, a lot of people probably don't even remember this, but back over on WWE's NXT Redemption show, when it wasn't even like a season of NXT, it was just like a show for, it was like Superstars 2.0, and they had Tatsu get injured by Tyson Kidd, and they had a few good matches over on that show. But Tatsu came back as this darker character, he had a streak of red in his hair, and uh, he, came up, he came back with new gear and all this kind of stuff. And um, people thought he'd be taken more seriously, but he came back with the same old, with the, with the same old theme music, in the same old gimmick of smiling and waving and doing that whole thing. He's a really cool guy. He's a really nice guy in real life, but they couldn't have made an attempt to make him more serious in the ring. I mean, it, it would have been well. I mean, it would have been good had they done that for his character, and that really disappointed me that they never made the transition to make Yoshitatsu a more serious competitor and a more of an in-ring threat. But they never did, unfortunately, and he was just another job guy for the longest time. He, too, has not been on TV forever. And um, people thought that he and Tensai could have done a thing back in 2012 when, or was it 20? Yeah, it was 2012, when Tensai, a.k.a. Matt Bloom, was brought into the WWE, and uh, they could have done a feud or something like that. And 
It just never happened. I mean, he just became just another job guy. So it sucks. Hopefully he can go back to Japan and be used well over there. Teddy Long, he wasn't released, but his contract did expire. And um, I guess I'm not really surprised, but he's been with the company for so long that you would think they'd find another role for him. And um, bona fide WWE Hall of Famer, no doubt. I remember reading rumors a couple years ago that he was going to be inducted, and I think in Atlanta, you know, the home of WCW, but... That never that never came to fruition, unfortunately. But uh, even so, though, I think they could have done something with him. I know the whole GM role for him has been played out much like it has been for Vicky Guerrero. He's been GM, I think, maybe a total of four or five times for ECW and SmackDown combined. But um, if he's not a GM, if you can recall, even before he was a GM, he was a referee over in WCW. And that would have been weird to see Teddy Long back in a referee role, and I'm not saying that he should have. But um, you could have also put Teddy Long either in the – Authority role over down in NXT in Florida. Or what my idea was, put Teddy Long as a manager for someone. He was a manager for the Nation of Domination for that guy Rodney Mack about 10 years ago. I didn't even know who that was until I just started right before I started filming this. But um, you could have put him as a manager. I know there were rumblings of rebooting the Nation of Domination. I don't think that will happen in today's PG world. But since Teddy Long was uh, a key part of the original Nation of Domination, you could have done something with him, had him serve as a manager for someone, I don't know, anyone in the main roster that could use a mouthpiece, Teddy Long could have been that guy. And I thought that he would have made a great mouthpiece for someone, but it just never came to fruition, which sucked. And um, last but not least, we have two members, so two-thirds of 3MB, gone from WWE. And I think... These two were the most shocking, one in particular, but these guys, I think, were the most shocking of everyone because unlike, um, you know, Brodus Clay and Kurt Hawkins and Evan Bourne and JTG, these guys were on television on a regular basis. Almost every single week on Raw, SmackDown, main event, you'd see them on there. Um, you know, just as of last week's Raw and SmackDown, they were on, and that is Jinder Mahal and Drew McIntyre. I mean, 3MB, like I said before, was never a fan of the group. I thought they completely mishandled it. They were a job group from the start. That was pretty obvious. But even still, though, they were completely just mistreated on the main roster for the longest time. And uh, it's not the fact that I wanted 3MB to be pushed. It was just more so Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre should have never been put in that group. Granted, he got TV time out of it, but and I've been saying this for a long time that he should have broken away when it first started, or at least a couple months ago, or a, so, or a year or so ago, when uh, you know when it first could have meant something. But um, he should have broken away from 3MB, turned face, and became the chosen one again, either as a babyface or a heel. It doesn't matter. But I know he had a hard time of getting over when he was first when he first arrived in WWE. But if you go back to his matches after long after he wasn't pushed. In um, 2010 and 2011, even when his matches on Superstars, he had a very aggressive mean streak, which I don't really think was tapped into by WWE when he was being pushed when he was Intercontinental Champion. He was the hand-picked one by Vince McMahon, the chairman himself. And he really did have a bright future. And even Mr. McMahon said himself that McIntyre would be a future world champion. And it's just a shame to see him go, seeing that they could never have capitalized on him breaking away from 3MB arguably one of the most hated groups in the entire company. He would have got a nice pop for it. Maybe. And maybe that's stretching it a bit. But he could have got a nice pop for it, broken away from the group, and branched off on his own as a mid-card guy, either as a babyface or a heel. He, he worked as a face for one edition of Superstars, actually, I think, days before he joined 3MB against Jinder Mahal, um, coincidentally enough, and it just net, and went nowhere. And they turned him face. Maybe as a tryout. Maybe as a test. But um, it really, like I said, went nowhere. They never did anything with it. And he went back to being healed like the next week. But anyway, McIntyre, I think, could have been something had he broken away from that group or never been put in that group to begin with. Jinder Mahal was a little less surprising. Um, Mahal, I liked when he first came into the WWE. Him and Kali were a nice pairing. It was a logical pairing. They could have been something in the tag team division or have Kali serve as the, as the heavy, so to speak, for Jinder Mahal. But... They ruined that storyline only a few months in. They had him break up, and Mahal hasn't been anything since. And um, he just really just doesn't have any personality. And it sucks. I mean, he's a, he's a talented hand in the ring. He can go in the ring, and um, he could have been a good heel. I'm not saying he could have been the second coming of Muhammad Hassan or anything like that, not to sound racist. But um, I do think they had something nice going with him when he first arrived on the scene in 2011. 
And they just ruined that when they broke up him and Kali. And Kali hasn't been interesting since. He works better as a heel, too. But um, anyway, though, I think Mahal could have been something had they not um, you know, broke up him and Kali so prematurely. But that being said, though, I don't think he would have been a major star had he broken away from 3MB. He just didn't have any personality. He wasn't exciting. Um, him and 3MB just didn't do anything for me. That also seemed like a very odd fit. But um, anyway, McIntyre, I think, is probably, like I said before, the biggest shock of them all. It really sucks to see him go. And, and in terms of McIntyre and where he goes from here, people are saying he should go to TNA where he can be right or ROH. TNA is an iffy situation. I'm not just saying that because it's a sinking ship of a company or anything like that. But the reason I say that is because Taryn Terrell, his ex-wife... And here's the thing. I'll go back to even before I go on with uh, where he can go from here. The whole reason why Drew McIntyre, I believe, was de-pushed in the first place. And I mean, this is purely speculation as to why he was de-pushed to begin with. But it goes back to August of 2010. And he wasn't not being pushed at the time, and only a month earlier was he being uh, a month earlier was he being considered as a favorite for the SmackDown Money in the Bank briefcase. A lot of people thought that he could have been a, a candidate, a strong candidate to win that World Heavyweight Championship briefcase, and I believe he was penciled in at one point to win the briefcase, but they ended up going with Kane instead to trigger the whole you know Undertaker Kane thing. But anyway. So, and, and a month later, in August of 2010, I remember reading about it when it happened, that he, that McIntyre and Terrell, who were husband and wife at the time, split up, and um, they didn't split up, but they got in an argument, they had a domestic dispute, and Tiffany was in a lot of, or, you know, her WWE name at the time, she was in a lot of hot water for it, and um, a lot of people expected her to be released that weekend when it happened, and I don't think she appeared at, she was supposed to appear at the SummerSlam pay-per-view, that um that week or something like that, I don't know. I think she was suspended. I think it was what it was, and then she was released a couple months later. And I don't know why they just didn't fire her on the spot. But anyway, but uh, that kind of whole triggered the downfall of Drew McIntyre, and he really hasn't been the same since, even before he joined 3MB. So yeah, I I just can't see him joining TNA if only because his ex-wife is there and. It, create a really awkward atmosphere. I would love to see him in ROH. That'd be very cool. And um, I could maybe see him going back to um, you know his home turf of Europe and going back there and wrestling for their promotions. I don't know what they would do with Drew McIntyre if he were to go to ROH. I can't honestly tell you, but he would be a good hand there wherever they could utilize him to his full potential, to his full capabilities, and use him to his fullest. But yeah, it's, it sucks to see McIntyre go. Overall, a lot of these guys weren't surprising. But... Um, yeah, like I said before, Drew McIntyre was probably the most surprising out of everyone. Mark Harris, not surprising. Bourne was gone anyway. Oksana sucks. I don't really care. Camacho, he didn't suck, but it was never on TV. doesn't matter. No one will remember he's gone anyway. Brodus Clay hasn't done anything for the longest time. He should have been used as a monster heel. Bro, uh, Kurt Hawkins should have been reunited with Zack Ryder. Ma- Mahal really had nothing of a future anyway, even after if he was going to break up with 3MB. JTG was a long time coming. Tatsu was underutilized. And Teddy Long was not much of a shocker since uh, his contract expired anyway. So those are the WWE releases. Um, in terms of other news items, I don't know if I really have time for this. But um, I will talk about them briefly. First, a report issued just a few days ago. And this has been a very hot topic for the last year or so now. It was a year ago yesterday that Dolph Ziggler lost the World Heavyweight Championship to Del Rio at the Payback Pay-Per-View in Chicago, if you can recall that. They had a great matchup. It was a hot angle. Dolph Ziggler in the process turned babyface, and Del Rio turned heel. I thought it was great. Dolph Ziggler, sure, his reign ended prematurely, but it created a hot feud for the summer between Del Rio and Ziggler, and Ziggler was put in chase mode as the babyface. But for whatever reason, Ziggler, he lost the rematch at Money in the Bank, and then he was never really given another shot at the world title. And I thought the end story, the end game would be him regaining the gold at some point, but he never did. He never even contended for it after that. After Money in the Bank, I don't think he ever received another world championship match again. And then they never did anything with him. He's had feuds with Sandow and Del Rio, many feuds with him again, but and um, Christian maybe, I don't know. He's done really a lot of random things over the last year or so, but a real hot topic has been why he's been de-pushed. He has his skills on the mic, in the ring. He's got the personality. He's over with the fans. Babyface heel, doesn't matter. He's over. He's connected with the audience. 
in popular opinion, speculation was months ago, even you go back, you type this in on Google, you can find reports of it, um, dating back to even September was when um, I think it all really first started. I guess he spoke out against Randy Orton in, uh, in some interview that he did. And this is really old news by this point, but I guess he spoke out against Randy Orton in some interview that he did for some paper or something. And then really after that was when he became a job guy. And I find it really hard to believe that they would uh, have heat on him for this long, for 10 months. It's kind of ridiculous. But um, he was also put in the authority storyline, coincidentally enough, for speaking out against Triple H. So that was the storyline reason why he was de-pushed. But in reality, it might have been for something he said. But um, that being said, though, he's also suffered concussions. And the reason why I mention that is because a report issued just recently, as of a couple of days ago, the title said, Reason Why Dolph Ziggler Isn't Being Pushed. So I clicked on it, and it said, Dolph Ziggler is not being pushed right now by officials because they feel he is too injury-prone. I read it again to make sure I read that right. It said, because Dolph Ziggler is too injury-prone. It was the biggest load of bullshit I've ever read in my life, and a huge reason why the dirt cheats, I don't trust them, I take them for what they're worth, I take them with a grain of salt, and I don't believe everything I read on the internet. A lot of people shouldn't either. It's just, it's bullshit. It's such a dumb excuse as to why they're not pushing Ziggler. I, I think that's just purely speculation from... From some news writer, some, from some wrestling writer, from a fan, I don't fucking know. But that's definitely not the reason why they're not pushing him. Yes, he suffered a concussion when he was first world champion last year. And yes, it sidelined him for a month. And I can see why, okay, we might not push this guy for right now because he just got a concussion. But And the second concussion that he suffered was long after he started getting deep pushed. He suffered the second concussion in the match against Ryback earlier this year on January 6th in the WWE Superstars tapings, and he was only out for a couple of weeks. It's not like he was out for years upon years or anything like that. The fact that he's too injury-prone is the dumbest bullshit, bullshit excuse I've ever heard in my life. He was only injured once, and I don't remember, I can't recall in the six fucking years that Dolph Ziggler has been in the WWE, I can't remember a single fucking time that he's been injured aside from that concussion a year ago. Dolph Ziggler said himself in interviews, and maybe he's lying, I don't know. But someone told me last night on Twitter, oh, maybe it's because he suffered a concussion when, uh, when he was Kerwin White or, or Nikki from the Spirit Squad. What the, what kind of bullshit answer is that? That was ten fucking years ago. If he's too injury prone from that and he hasn't been injured since, that's ridiculous. And if he was injured, you would more than likely hear about it in some of the dirt sheets. And even if he was injured and we didn't hear about it, you probably you could probably tell on TV if he was injured or if he took time off or something like that. And if he did take time off and we didn't even know about it, then it must have been in, it must have been minor. It was nothing major, that's for sure. So he suffered two concussions. Okay, and that's not the reason why he's not being pushed right now. Otherwise, they would have started pushing him months ago or gave him back the world championship right after he lost it last year. So I don't believe that at all. People shouldn't believe that. I think it's a dumbass answer to even say that he's too injury-prone to be pushed. Randy fucking Orton, Randy fucking Orton, has been injured God knows how many times over the last 10 years. He's had so many problems with his shoulder. And yes, you can make the argument. Yes, he's one of our top guys. Yes, 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 he's one of our top faces of the company, all that bullshit. And that's why he continues to get pushed even though he's injury-prone. That's ridiculous. Rey Mysterio has always been injury prone. He's been injured four or five times, and they've always given him world championship anyways. He's a three-time world champion. John Cena has been injured time and time again. He's different because he's not going to not get pushed because he's injury prone. He's the face of the company. They're going to push him regardless. But I can go up and down the fucking roster in terms of people that are more injury prone than Dolph fucking Ziggler. It's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I just really wanted to br- I, I really wanted to bring that up because I thought it really gave me a a hearty laugh to even uh, to even read that because I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard that Dolph Ziggler is too injury prone. Give me a break. That is not at all the reason why he's not being pushed right now. It's probably because, and Ric Flair even said himself that he wanted to work with Dolph Ziggler. Take that for what it's worth. It's from the dirt sheets. But I could, of course, believe it. He's always been high on Ziggler from what I've heard him, from what he said and stuff like that. And I guess WWE just doesn't want to put... Ziggler in the role to be pushed right now with, 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 with uh, Ric Flair. It's a natural pairing, but they don't want to go and do it because Dolph Ziggler's in hot water right now. Probably because he spoke out against the company a number of months ago and they still feel bad about it. 
And maybe you just give it time. Maybe he'll be pushed a couple months from now after he serves his time. Triple H, the same thing happened to him. He was involved in that uh, the curtain call, the New York thing with with the Click members, and he was deep pushed for a very long time. And look, 15 years later, the guy's the fucking 13-time world champion and one of the leading faces behind the scenes of the WWE. So I don't believe for a minute that uh, it was because he was injury-prone. It's probably because backstage he's got a big mouth. He's probably run his mouth a few times. And um, he's just not buried the company. He's just not spoken fondly about the WWE in interviews in the past. So that's just my reasoning as to why Dolph Ziggler's not being pushed right now. And it's not at all because he's injury-prone. So that being said, then, I'll get to this brief news note. I know we're over halfway through the show already. But um, even still, Matt Hardy has been announced to be returning to TNA for the summer at their New York tapings. So that's really exciting. I look forward to that. Matt Hardy's always been one of my favorites. I actually just met him a couple of weeks ago for the second time. I met him a couple of years ago at a Northeast Wrestling event. Met him for the second time at the same company event um, just a few weeks ago. And he's an awesome guy. I love talking to him. I got to, I got to talk to him for a solid five minutes. So it's great to see him back on mainstream TV. Um, he was initially in TNA... In uh, 2011, his reign or his run there was not all that great. And personal problems, especially all the things was, that happened with Jeff Hardy too, um, it just was really bad timing. And just both neither guy were really in the right place and right state of mind at the time to be wrestling on mainstream TV. But um, it's really cool to see him back in TNA. I think I don't know if it's for a regular thing or if he signed a contract or what the deal is. But um, from what I've heard, he's going to be reuniting with Jeff Hardy. Hopefully, Jeff Hardy not fucking Willow. I hate Willow. But um, that'd be cool to see them back together. Maybe them against the Wolves would be awesome if they could do that feud or against them. They really don't have any other teams in, in uh, TNA right now. I guess they could do Magnus and Bram against Hardy and against the Hardy Boys. That'd be awesome. So I would love to see that. Maybe that's the direction they're going in with this whole tag team feud, and that'd be pretty cool. But um, anyway, though, yeah, it's really. I just wanted to point that out. Matt Hardy returning to TNA. I'm look, looking forward to it. Should be really good. So now moving on to my review of TNA Slammiversary. I won't go match by match. We don't have much time for that. But I will give my brief overview of each of the matches on the show. Um, the X Division title match kicking off the show. Sonata successfully retaining his X Division championship against Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards, Manic, Crazy Steve, and Tigre Uno in a six-way ladder match. Still the X Division champion. A fun match to kick off the show. I said this in my predictions last week, but the X Division is so irrelevant right now and it sucks. And I know they might try to heat it up for the summer. They always do. They've been doing that for years now. That They're finally trying to push the X Division, but then they don't. And then it becomes a joke again and irrelevant for the rest of the year. So I don't put, um, I don't believe for two seconds that this is the start of a rebirth of the X Division for TNA. But um, it really was a fun matchup. It served the role of a nice opener, set the tone for the rest of the show. Sonata, I don't know if he's going to be the one to cash in the X Division championship to become the next... Um, not become the next TNA World Heavyweight Champion, but to contend for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Um, because, of course, the option C, the Austin Aries in, invented a couple of years ago, both he and Saban went on to win the World Championship. I just can't see Sonata contending for the world title if, unless it was on an, a throwaway episode of Impact or something like that. We just don't know much about Sonata. He's only been in the company for a few months now, and I still know nothing about the guy, nor do I have any, any reason to care about him at all. So if he was to defend or go for contend for the world championship, I just wouldn't care. So hopefully they take the title off of him and switch it on to... And that's the thing, I don't even know who they would switch it on to, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if they would put it on Davey Richards or Eddie Edwards, and they're already the world tag team champions, so I have no idea. But anyway, so I, I don't know what they'll do with Sonata and the X Division title, but that was a good match to kick off Slammiversary. Bobby Lashley and Samoa Joe... And um, the whole card, the complexion of the event completely changed when MVP's injury was apparently worse than expected. He was unable to compete at the Slammiversary pay-per-view, so he was unable to compete. They had to be pulled. He had to be pulled from the World Championship matchup. And the backup plan that they came up with instead was that the winners of the Bobby Lashley and Samoa Joe, and also the Austin Aries versus Kenny King matches, would advance to the steel cage match main event for the World Championship with Eric Young. So I thought that was a cool twist of the show. I thought it actually improved the show, if anything. I thought it made the matches more meaningful and not just throwaway matches that meant nothing and had no um, meaning or any importance whatsoever. So I thought that was pretty cool and a nice way to make up for uh, MVP not, not wrestling. And we've already seen Eric Young versus MVP twice before in Impact. So I 
see it for a third time on, on pay-per-view would make no sense um, when you're actually paying for it this time around. So I thought it was a cool way to make up for that. But anyway, though, Bobby Lashley versus Samoa Joe, a good matchup. I think Bobby Lashley really isn't as bad as some people put him out to be. But Joe, don't get me wrong, Joe carried him to a good matchup. I enjoyed it for what it was. Pretty shocking that Lashley went over clean. It gave him credibility, but in the same, at the same time, Samoa Joe, and I didn't expect the main event to come down to Austin Aries, Samoa Joe, and Eric Young, and, and every TNA fan's dream match in the main event for the world title, with Joe winning the championship on the show. But anyway, though, um, it would have been cool to see Samoa Joe contending for the world championship again. I mean, I know he did a couple months ago, and they gave up on that pretty quickly. I mean, he was off TV for about a month or two, and then he finally just came back a couple weeks ago. But um, anyway, the Samoa Joe has been underutilized for years now. He's really overdue for a for a shot of the world with a run with the world heavyweight championship in TNA. Hopefully, they get him right back on the on the right track pretty soon. He deserves it. He's a great talent. He deserves better than what he's getting right now. But um. As it stands, it sucks to see him lose clean, but um, hopefully they can get him back on the right track. Maybe he can even win this year's Bound for Glory series. And then, and I saw this, I saw someone uh, talk about this on um, someone mentioned this somewhere, and I thought it was a great idea to do Samoa Joe versus MVP for the world title at Slammiversary. That'd be awesome. Not at Slammiversary. I'm sorry. Bound for Glory later this year. That'd be a great view to do for the world championship. So um, I look forward to that. If it doesn't end up happening, I don't think it will. But it would be cool though. Samoa Joe is very overdue. Way overdue for a run with the world championship. So that was a good matchup. Magnus versus Willow. Pretty standard matchup. Magnus went over clean. I like that aspect of it. So Magnus needs clean wins after having all of his momentum from last year being destroyed when he fucking turned heel. And he hasn't been the same since. But I like his thing with Bram. I like the fact we won this match clean. Hopefully they can keep it going forward. Keep it going strong going forward. And, um... Yeah, him and Mag- Magnus and Bram could be a good tag team to add to the tag team division. Where you go with Willow from here, I personally don't give a fuck. Maybe you do Magnus and Willow, or I'm sorry, Willow and Abyss against Magnus and Bram this week on Impact, or I don't know what they're going to do with these two. But um, I thought that was a good matchup. Austin Aries and Kenny King, a fun matchup. Kenny King, I've always been a fan of his. He's just really annoying. He's been a really, really annoying in recent months. I mean, I guess he's playing his role as the obnoxious heel. Because he is a heel after all. But, I don't know, I just really... It's like turn your, tea off, turn your TV off kind of annoying. Not the heat generating kind of annoying. Just like shut the fuck up kind of annoying. So, that was a fun matchup. He's always been a great wrestler. So, it was really no surprise that he and Austin Aries had a hell of a matchup here. Really enjoyed that. So, good matchup from those two. Austin Aries picks up the win and advances to the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. Ross and Marshall, Von Erich against the Bromance. It was cool to see the Von Erichs in Texas country. TNA did themselves a great service by having them announced for the show ahead of time, boosting sales. It would have been nice if they hyped it up on TV, but they were more probably concerned with boosting the uh, the arena sales and people that are actually, the, you know, the live crowd sales as opposed to the uh, people that are watching on pay-per-view because they probably expect the same amount of people that always buy their pay-per-views to buy them again. They probably won't generate any new viewers because the the build going into the show was horrendous. So I don't really expect the buy rate for the show to be all that strong. They never announce their buy rates, and you wonder why. And um, it's really no surprise. But um, anyway, though, this was an okay matchup. Ross and Marshall are pretty green. They probably just started out wrestling, so I, um, that was, that, I'm, I'm fine with that. That wasn't really that big of a surprise. But what was surprising was the fact that they won by DQ. I mean, what was... Why not just have the bromance lose via pinfall or submission? I mean, what's, what, what is there to lose to the bromance? You know what I mean? They've been a joke comedy team for the longest time, so I really see no purpose in keeping them strong by having them lose via DQ. That made no sense to me at all, but it was what it was. The highlight of the night by far came when Kevin Von Erich locked in the claw on DJZ. That was really cool. A great moment for those in attendance. I mean, I was never a fan at the time, of course, when the Von Erichs were around, but even for someone like me that is aware of them and knows their history, their importance to the wrestling world, um, it was really cool to see them do that. Um, to see Kevin Von Erich execute his legendary maneuver on DJZ. Knockouts Championship matchup, Angelina Love versus Gail Kim. A decent matchup, two of the better knockouts in the division right now, so I wasn't really surprised that this was a passable contest. Not as good as it could have been. I mean, like I said before, two of the better in-ring workers in the knockouts division right now, so I was not surprised that it was a fine matchup, but it had the potential to be better. Not as good as it could have been, but... in it. The interference from Velvet Sky didn't really bother me. We've seen that a million times from the beautiful people. So Angelina Love didn't really surprise me either. 
given the fact that she just won the title a little over a month ago, so it was really too early to take the title off of her. So, see this feud continue, I'd be fine with that, and then you can build towards the returning Taryn Terrell against Angeline Love at the Bound for Glory pay-per-view in October, then you give the title to Terrell, I think that'd be great. Or you give the title to Terrell before that, and you do another Gail Kim Terrell match at Bound for Glory. Either way, I'd be pumped for that, that'd be awesome, they had an awesome series of matches at Slammiversary. She's not the greatest in-ring worker, but she was carried to a lot of great matches last year, both in the ladder and last women's standing at uh, Slammiversary and on Impact, respectively, last year. It was just announced today that she's coming back on Impact on Thursday, like I said before. So I'm looking forward to that. It should add a lot to the Knockouts division. should be really cool to see her back. And she's hot, too. That that helps. But, um, yeah, so that, that was that. Ethan Carter III against Bully Ray in a Texas death match. What probably bothered me the most was the fact that the rules were never really explained of this matchup and how one can win it. Um, I, get the, I guess they just expected us to know what the rules of a Texas deathmatch were. So that was really weird, but yeah. So the matchup itself I thought was good. It was a nice hardcore brawl. EC3 really had a standout performance here. Probably his best match to date. Bully Ray has always been, you know, he, he's always carried his own weight in the ring and has carried EC3 to a very good match here. A lot of hardcore, um, a lot of hardcore spots and it really utilized the extreme environment well. The final few minutes were okay. I mean, I kind of expected Dixie Carter to interfere. It was a no-DQ match anyway, so I really wasn't pissed about that. But um, overall, I thought it was a really good matchup. The finish, EC3 going over, was uh, was a good move. I think he needed the win. Now to have wins over all three Hall of Famers, Kurt Angle, Sting, and now Bully Ray was big. Really, really enjoyed that aspect of it. And um, also the fact that I'll get to the 3D announcement in a minute. But um, just the finish itself was a little weird. I mean, I like the fact that EC3 went over, but the fact that it only took one Singapore cane shot to the neck of Bully Ray to take him out was a little illogical since EC3 took out... Um, they, had hit the, they had hit themselves with the Singapore cane before so many times in the head it didn't take him out. So just one shot through a table, I mean, eh, I don't know, that's stretching a little bit. But anyway... Um, so that was a good matchup, and also, I forgot to mention this before, but Team 3D, Devon and Bully Ray, Bobby Ray, whatever, were uh, announced as the newest inductees into the TNA Hall of Fame. And that was really cool, too. I mean, a lot of people are thinking, okay, it should be AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett, newsflash people. They haven't been in the company for the longest time. They won't be in the company, probably, for a very long time. So don't expect them to be pushed anytime soon, or not pushed, be inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame, given the fact that they're not even with the company and probably not in the best of terms with them right now. Styles is an ROH. Jarrett's starting up his own wrestling promotion, so I never expected either of those guys to be announced as the Hall of Fame inductees. But um, Team 3D was a pleasant surprise and a great choice, I think. They have, had a lot, they have added a lot to TNA over the last 10 years since they jumped ship with the company in 06. And um, even now, Bully Ray's doing really well for himself on his own. And it's really cool to see that they beat WWE to the punch. They're easily future WWE Hall of Famers, too. But um, to see them get inducted into the TNA's Hall of Fame first was really cool. So I look forward to that. Um, when they are inducted on Bound for Glory weekend, they are very deserving of the honor. So, yeah, that was a really cool announcement. Glad, glad to see them in the Hall of Fame. No one else really came to mind. I was kind of thinking Samoa Joe. But, um, you know, given his history with Angle and then the fact that they were the one, that he was the one that presented the, um, that made the announcement. But anyway, though, I thought it was really cool. So it's glad, I'm glad to see Team 3D back together, only for a short-time basis. But, yeah, it's really cool to see them back together and being inducted in the Hall of Fame at TNA Bound for Glory later this year. Anderson and Storm had a fine matchup. I've enjoyed the feud at points. Other points, not so much. The feud really hasn't been that strong. But um, it was what it was. Anderson went over after some interference from the Dallas Cowboys at ringside, probably just trying to pop some media coverage. I understand that. The match was a bit of a disappointment. They didn't really have much timing. It probably got cut short, given the fact that uh, that they only had maybe like a half an hour left. I remember looking at the clock, and when this match started, it was like 10.30, and they really didn't have much time for this at all. And it was kind of a shame. But anyway, Anderson goes over. That was that. Main event comes along. Eric Young versus Bobby Lassie versus Austin Aries. Triple threat match, steel cage match for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. A very good main event. Really enjoyed this. Chemistry between all three guys was very good. Um, Bobby Lashley, even though a lot of people are down on his in-ring skills, held his own in this matchup. Austin Aries was easily the star. Very happy to see him in a main event for the first time in over a year for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. 
Eric Young was also easily over, um, a favorite among the crowd. Obviously, that's that really comes as no surprise. And um, no interference either from MVP or Kenny King. So that was a pleasant surprise. Glad to see that not go down. Um, a lot of cool spots toward the end with Eric Young hitting the top rope elbow off the top of the cage. Flying elbow, as you may call it. So that was a cool spot. Eric Young goes over. Still your World Heavyweight Champion. Overall, I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was great. Um, maybe it was much better given the fact that everything else in TNA right now has been shit over the last number of months. But um, Slammiversary has always been good. You go back to their 2011 shows, 2012, 2013. They've always been awesome. So it really was no surprise that this show was just as good, if not better, than some of the past shows. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully they can keep the momentum going. It's all about the aftermath. So even if they did have a great show, and they did, but now it's all about the aftermath going forward. If they can continue the momentum and have you know good impact shows and much better improvements, much bigger improvements over what they've been having in the last number of months, because what they've been doing in the last number of months has been complete shit. So now moving right along to the review of Monday Night Raw for June 16th, 2014. Overall, I enjoyed this show too. Um, I recently re- re- recently read that a I think the head creative writer of WWE of, of Raw was recently released, so I guess maybe that's why the show was better and McMahon took over for one night. Maybe that's what it was, and maybe that explains why we had that weird vomit segment with Stephanie and Vicky, which was gross. Easily the lowest point of the night, but aside from that, though, I, I thought this was a good show from start to finish. Easily the best episode of Raw in quite some time. I know that's not saying much, but um, it really was a good show. We had the final two Money in the Bank qualifying matches with Roman Reigns winning a battle royal to qualify for the Money in the Bank ladder match in a couple more weeks. So I thought that was a great choice, much better than Kane. I thought the final two spots would go to Cena and Kane, and only one of them got a spot. But um, it's good to see Roman Reigns in the matchup. I guess Ambrose and Rollins are officially feuding on their own. I don't know why Reigns isn't really joining in on that. I know you know he got betrayed too. Maybe they'll do Rollins and Reigns at the Battleground pay-per-view in a couple weeks. I don't really know. But um, either way, I thought thought that was a great choice to have Reigns in the matchup. Adds a lot of freshness, and like I said before, Cena's also a part of the matchup after beating Kane in the main event of a stretcher match. The stretcher match really wasn't all that good. I mean, it was what it was. Stretcher matches are really never all that exciting. But um, they tried to make the most of it. There was a number of botches that really took away from it that didn't look good at all. But uh, Cena going over was predictable, so that didn't really bother me all that much. But, um, you know, and adding Cena to his makes it a star power, adds, adds a lot of star power to the matchup. So there is that aspect of it. So right now in the Money in the Bank ladder match, the final seven confirmed, we've got Alberto Derrio, Sheamus, Randy Orton, Cesaro, Bray Wyatt, John Cena, and Roman Reigns. Five of the seven of those guys debuted after 2010, or a- debuted after 09 in the last five years Five out of the seven of those guys have debuted. So, a lot of fresh pa- faces in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Should be good. I look forward to it. A lot of star power. Hopefully, they have another second one. They have a second one just for the briefcase, not for the championship. A lot of people have been asking me that. And I hope there is another briefcase matchup. Um, so, you can put guys like RVD and Barrett and Ziggler and maybe even Rhodes and Goldust in there. I don't know, but it would be cool, though. So, there is that. But, um... Yeah, so that, that was, both of those matches were good. The Battle Royal was much better than the main event. The main event, like I said before, was mediocre at best. But when it came down to Reigns and Rusev, I thought that was a great moment. A big, big match feel moment. A nice showdown between the two. So I really liked that aspect of the, the final few minutes of the Battle Royal. Made both Bo Dallas and Rusev look really good since they were the final two in there with Roman Reigns before they were both uh, respectively eliminated. But uh, those are the highlights of last night's show. We also had... Rollins versus Ziggler in a great opening matchup with Rollins and Ambrose going at it a few times over the course of the night. And uh, that's a really hot feud as of right now. Ambrose comes off like a complete freaking star. He came out here, beat up Seth Rollins, got the better of Rollins after Rollins beat Ziggler by DQ. Then out comes Triple H announcing that your opponent up next will be Bad News Barrett. So Ambrose works this matchup with Bad News Barrett, a good match, might I add, in street clothes for a very long time, I think well over 10 minutes, that these two got in the ring. And uh, it was a good match, and he worked street clothes within that matchup. Lost the match via countout, but came back in the ring and took out Bad News Barrett. And then later on in the night, when Rollins and Orton tried to prevent Cena from winning, um, Ambrose came out to the defense of John Cena. So all three times, he got the better of Seth Rollins. And it was really cool to see Ambrose 
while he works better as a heel, he's coming off as a complete star as a baby face right now. So hopefully they can continue to book him correctly. And um, he was easily the star of the night last night, and I really enjoyed his work. So there was that, like I said before, Ambrose and Barrett worked a good match, as with Rollins and Ziggler. Sheamus and Bray Wyatt had a good matchup, and um, Sheamus ended up winning that by DQ, setting up a six-man tag team match between between uh, Sheamus and the Usos against the Wyatt family this week on main event. So that should be good. We had Rusev against Heath Slater in a week, uh, in, a, in a quick squash match. I guess, I, I guess Heath Slater is uh, face now, I'm not exactly sure, but... um. I guess Heath Slater is finally faced now. I'm not exactly sure. We'll have to wait and see what that is about. But, um, yeah, there was that. So Rusev goes over there. Rose and Summer Rae against Fandango and Layla still don't give two shits about this feud between Layla and Summer Rae, given the fact that they're both heels. But um, we also had Kevin Hart on commentary for it, which I thought was pretty funny. He, he's a funny guy. So And I know he was on the show to promote his new movie, Think Like a Man 2, out in theaters this week, and that's not a cheap plug. I'm just saying what they said. But, um... Anyway, though, that was that good matchup from the... That wasn't really a good matchup, but it was what it was. I didn't really, I'm not really liking the feed between Summer and Layla right now, so it's really just kind of a waste of time. Hopefully they can just move forward with it and give both ladies something new to do because putting two heels against one another makes no sense. I guess Summer's maybe a face now since she's teamed with Adam Rose on the show, but um, I don't know. Either way, I couldn't care less for it. Paige and Cameron had a brief matchup. They might be teasing a Cameron heel turn, which I'd be okay with. She'd probably work better as a heel anyway since she's naturally annoying and obnoxious on Total Divas. And even on WWE TV, too. And I made this joke on Twitter last night, too. But she already turned heel when she uh, when she said her favorite matchup was Alicia Fox versus Melina. But um, anyway, though, so we had that matchup. Cameron and, uh, and Paige. Paige went over there. So maybe you can build a story around Cameron turning heel. You just need more character development for Paige. And the fact they haven't really given that to her yet was kind of disappointing. But there was that Stardust. So Stardust and Goldust um, up against Rybaxel. Now here's the backstory for this. For the last couple of weeks, as you know, Goldust has been getting all these new partners as Cody has feels he's been unworthy of being Goldust's partner. So he picks random jobbers for his partners like R-Truth and Kofi Kingston and Sankara. And last week, Cody Rhodes said that Goldust's partner this week would be Magnificent would magnify the magnificence of gold dust and was from another galaxy or something like that. So I'm figuring it's going to be someone dumb. I was looking forward to it, but um, I figured it would be someone dumb. And um, they come out and gold dust come out and then comes out Stardust. Um, gold dust are Cody Rhodes' new alter ego. And I guess it might be a permanent thing. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it looks like it based off the fact that Cody Rhodes has changed his Twitter picture and bio and his name on the on Twitter to... Stardust, so it might be a permanent thing. I really hope not, but my thoughts on Stardust, my initial thoughts, it could go two ways. Personally, I really, really, really want to see Goldust versus Cody Rhodes at SummerSlam. So if the end game is still Cody Rhodes versus Goldust at SummerSlam, then I'm okay with this. If it's a long-term thing to do Goldust and Stardust as a tag team, then no. Um, I don't really see what the point of breaking up Cody and Goldust was as, you know, as Cody Rhodes and not Stardust if you're just going to repackage Cody anyway in the same tag team with the same guy. Goldust isn't sticking around for long, so this won't last. And um, it's just kind of a ripoff of the Goldust gimmick. It's fun for what it is. I'm not hating on it. But if it really doesn't give me what I want to see in Cody versus Goldust, then it's a waste of time. I just think it's dumb. It was just really strange when I initially saw it. You gotta, you gotta give it more time before I can really judge it and form an opinion on it. But as of right now, it's just... I don't even know, man. This is really weird. I don't know. But um, hopefully we could see Cody Rhodes rebound from this. And I think he has the potential to be a future world champion, but I, he obviously can't be with his gimmick. So And maybe it makes him more over in the process. I don't know. I just won't be able to take him seriously. I thought he was fine off as Cody Rhodes. But we'll just have to wait and see and see where that goes going from here. So that all being said, overall, a fine edition of Monday Night Raw as building towards the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in just a few weeks. I look forward to that. Also going to Raw on June 30th in less than two weeks. So that should be cool too. But anyway, we got Raw this week, Slammiversary, all the uh, releases and stuff like that. So it's been a... Pretty historic last seven days, and I look forward to what Raw and Impact both bring next week or this upcoming week as well. 
as well as the Money in the Bank pay-per-view as the road to Money in the Bank marches on. So with all that being said, guys, thanks for listening. Always appreciate it. If you want to support the show and support me, make sure to follow me on Twitter at RussellRant. Find me on Facebook and like the page at Graham GSM Matthews. YouTube, same thing, and Bleacher Report, same thing. This show goes up every Tuesday at nextairwrestling.weebly.com over the WrestleRant archive section. So make sure you check it out every Tuesday. I got reviews of Impact, Raw, the pay-per-views, and everything else in between. So make sure to tune in every single Tuesday for my thoughts on everything going on in the wrestling world. So with all that being said, guys, thanks for listening once again. Have a, yourself a great 17th if you're listening to this past June 17th. Have a great rest of the week. This is Graham Jason Matthews. I'll talk to you guys soon, and see you next week.